This reading is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, and beginning at verse 6. Jesus has now obtained a more excellent ministry, and to that degree he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted through better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need to look for a second one. God finds fault with them when he says, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, so I had no concern for them, says the Lord." This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. And I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, and what is obsolete and growing old will soon disappear. Second reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, and beginning at verse 21. Concerning anger, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall do no murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with your brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fall, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So, when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, while you are on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown in prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Concerning adultery, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, Tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, as it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Concerning divorce, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, 
except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Concerning oaths, you have heard it said that it was said in those, to those in ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. It's a rather full-on passage, that one, should I think. Cutting off members and plucking out eyes, being thrown into hell. And what is hell? So there's 13 instances of the word hell in the New Testament. Uh, 12 of them translate to this word Gehenna. And you probably have heard it said before that Gehenna was the city dump. It's where the stuff got thrown and burnt away. But I don't know if you're aware that the Hebrew for Gehenna is Ben-Hinnom. And Ben-Hinnom is the valley of slaughter. What is this valley of slaughter, I hear you think? So in Jeremiah, and they go on building the high place of Topeth, which is in the valley of the son Ben of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when it will no longer be called Topeth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Topeth until there is no more room. So it's quite a dark place, isn't it? This. <laughs> so this is the place where child sacrifice was happening in the name of the Lord. Not a commandment that God gave them. But the place they ended up when they took legalism to the nth degree. And Jesus' Jewish audience would have heard Gehenna as the valley of slaughter, as would Matthew's Jewish readers or listeners. I think that often we create an idol of God. We put upon God our ideas, our thoughts, our desires, and name it as him. This was the place of the highest idolatry against God a place of child sacrifice. The idolatry of God as a God who demanded this. And so we come to our 21st idea of hell, 21st century idea of hell. The place where God sends people after they die to eternal punishment and torment. It's quite a long way 
from the city dump or the valley where pe people committed adultery, uh, idolatry. In fact, I would argue that this concept of what hell is, this place of torment and torture, where humans are thrown in, is our version of the same idolatry. It's our violence, our judgment, human judgment, human violence. And we make it sacred and say that it's God. And I've heard this rather intense passage used as a tool in this way. That not only do we need to follow the laws, but actually we need to take them further. And I've seen people become bound up in this legalism of you can't even look at another woman. I've seen women feel that they have to cover up every aspect of their skin. There they lead a man into sin. And we get bound up more and more in legalism and rules because we're afraid of the violent God that demands that we pluck out eyes, cut off hands, and condemn people to hell. It's a happy place for me to start this morning, isn't it? So this passage comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And people have wrestled with this passage and they've come out with these views. That are, these are the rules that we have to follow them. We have to follow them even stricter now. And I would like to argue that actually I think that this is Jesus painting a picture of the kingdom of heaven. It's about what the kingdom of God could be. A place without violence, a place with reconciliation, a place of hope, not of judgment, a place of love, not of fear. Says, you shall not murder. Whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you will also be liable to judgment. And what this invites us to is a place of reconciliation. I believe that human violence comes from two places. The first place is the place of desire. So you have two individuals who, or communities, or even countries, that perhaps desire the same thing. Sex, money, security, oil, power, sovereignty. 
This desire then leads to rivalry. To a breakdown of communication. To walls being put up. And finally, aggression. And this desiring is a base and natural instinct within us. We can't help it. I mean, have you ever actually tried to stop yourself from thinking a thought before you thought it? Have you ever tried to stop that surge and wave of anger with someone who's really just pushed your buttons before it's happened? When you go to like therapy and counseling, the best that you do is you look at the thing after it's happened and work out how to like not get quite so angry next time. Or at least how to calm down quicker afterwards. You ever tried to stop a thought of, well, they're quite fit, coming into your head before it happens? This desire becomes and starts in us so instinctively and subtly that we can't control it. But if this law is on our hearts, like the writer of Hebrews describes, then perhaps we start getting led away from this place. Perhaps what we do is we start to realize that actually what we can't do is judge and condemn one another. Perhaps these rules that Jesus is talking about are so high and so ridiculous that there is no way of keeping them. And so what the invitation is, is to realize that we're all as broken and fallen as each other and not to point the finger. If people start to live out the Sermon on the Mount, then perhaps the kingdom of God starts to become a reality. These are not demands or commands of obedience but they are absolutely necessary for the kingdom of God to become a reality. They are descriptions of a new conversion, a new behavior, a new way of looking at the world. And they're necessary for us as people who come from a world of desire and rivalry and judgment and anger. And the second place I believe that our violence comes from is a place of fear. Because fear leads to anger, at least that fight or flight reaction. 
And if I encounter someone who is angry or violent, what if instead of retaliating, my first response was to want to know why? What has led them to this place? Is it a desire for something that they can't have? Or a fear of losing? What is it that they are afraid of? Do they even know that they're afraid? People use these examples in the Sermon on the Mount within this passage to justify their place of righteousness, of their place of doing good, and so therefore they can point the finger at others. But actually, I think this sermon is an advocacy for honesty, for honor, and doing the right thing, but out of love. Not because I think I'm right. Not because I'm afraid of losing out, or losing face, or losing part of my pride or my position. but because I want to love. I want to reach out to the person who's angry and work out what's going on. Because this is what it takes for this sacred violence to be let go of. I don't want to be the one condemning people to hell. I want to be the one that reaches out in reconciliation and love. We have to let go of this sacred violence if our faith is to be true to Jesus and his life. If our faith is to be faithful to his resurrection. This passage is an advocation for reconciliation above everything. Even before sacrifice and atonement. Verse 23, it says, So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. This law that had led the Jewish people for so long, that had tied them up and kept people in their positions of power and those without power, Christ turns around and says, you know what is more important than giving your atonement offerings and your grain offerings and your sin offerings and everything else is reconciliation and love with your fellow human beings. In Hebrews, I'm just going to repeat it, it says, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. 
and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God is indwelling within us. His love indwells within us. His desire for a relationship indwells within us. The triune God that submits and loves and reaches out and reconciles is within us, written on our hearts and in our minds. And wouldn't it be amazing when we get to that time when we will not have to teach one another to say, know the Lord? Because to know the Lord is to love, right? Is to follow in love. For they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. What would that look like? A world where we don't even have to talk about it. We just know. Everyone knows the love of God, that God is love. I'll be merciful to their iniquities and I'll remember their sins no more. This is the new covenant. And the first example of a person living that out is Christ. And we see his conduct to those that accuse, beat, ultimately kill him. It is a response of love, of reconciliation. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. This is the kingdom that we have been invited to inhabit, to live into being. Not one of vengeance or violence or judgment or self-righteousness. Because what if that kingdom was here what if after 9-11 instead of declaring war the western world had reached out in reconciliation and peace what if they had asked why we have got to this place what if we sent aid instead of guns What if we didn't need to worry about being justified in our retaliation? And what if we didn't think that those who thought differently or looked differently or lived differently to us didn't need to be ridiculed or kept out or treated with suspicion? What would that look like? What would it look like if we actually spoke to each other when we had a problem, went to the person and said, you know what, that really hurt when you said that, rather than holding it inside and letting it grow. What if we didn't need to be right anymore, we just needed to show love? There is an argument that many cleverer people than me make that actually if we want to see an end to violence and war, what we need to do is make sure that everyone has 
the basic needs. I talked before about desire and how violence often comes from a desire. And that's not just, I want that watch. That's, I want a roof over my head. I want food. I want water. What if actually, instead of spending all the money we do on the military, on making sure that these big corporations had loopholes to save their tax, about keeping the rich richer, about giving more money to big corporations, What if we actually spent that money on making sure that every single person has access to water, food, shelter, education? We have the means to do it. We have the means to be able to do this. What we lack is the motivation. Did you know that bonobos and chimps are our closest living relatives in terms of DNA and genetics and all that? And bonobos are one of the most peaceful primates on planet Earth. Chimps are the second most violent ape. Can you guess what the most violent ape on planet Earth is? Do you know what the difference between bonobos and chimps are? Chimps live in a resource-scarce environment, so they have to compete for food sources, for water sources, for shelter. Bonobos live in a resource-rich environment. There is plenty for everyone, and they are an extremely peaceful animal. What if actually instead of retaliation, we, let, we reached out with provision, love, reconciliation? What would our world look like now? We have to live it into being. We have to be the kingdom and Christ in this world. We have to love sacrifice our own will, our own justice at times, resist violence and desire and our desire to be justified. I believe that there is a reason why hate and violence seems to be winning right now as well. There are those who seem in a world far away who are in want and need, and they look at the Western world with hate and anger because of our luxury, and because instead of providing for them, we turn away. And then on top of that, we spend our time looking at those who are in our world, who are afraid of that hatred, who are afraid 
that they will see retaliation. And we laugh at them, and we ridicule them, and we call them fools. If I say to you, but I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Rather than reaching out to those that disagree with us, how often do we post on Facebook a really funny, satirical comment? Instead of reaching out and talking to the person who disagrees with our points of view, how often do we snigger in our little groups? Can you believe that they actually think that? I need you to realize that I am preaching to myself right now as much as anyone else in this room. If you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. How many people now, right now, are living in hell? Because of fear, because of desire, because of violence, because of a lack of reconciliation. And how many more will be condemned to that fire by our inability to do things differently? And I want to leave you with this question. How are we going to bring God's kingdom here? Let us pray. God of mercy, we confess that we are so wedded to our desire and to our fear that violence in feeling and in word and in action all too often shapes how we respond to the world. We want so much. We want stuff. We want security. We want power. We want to be right. We want to be special. We fear so much to be wrong, to be lacking, to be unloved, to be uncertain. And these fears and these wants drive us into places we do not belong and you have not made us for. Places of defense and anger and violence and we are sorry we ask your forgiveness and we recognize we are not unusual and so we pray for our world driven by the same wants and fears as we know all too well we pray for all who are afraid of losing what they know they need to survive, of losing their homes, of losing enough to eat and enough to drink, of losing peace, of losing security, of losing identity.
We pray for those who fear the power of others to dominate them, to take from them. We pray for those who lose, who fear losing power. Losing space to be. Losing the lives that they treasure. That they have built up and the way of being that seems to them, seems to us, so necessary. We pray for those who find that the only way they can see to survive is to be angry, to be violent, to shut others out. For those in political power who believe that the only way to maintain their power and to carry out the responsibilities that they have involves the violence of war or the violence of exclusion or the violence of rhetoric that drives others into behaviours that damage communities. We pray for all those with power that they will have confidence not in their own capacity but in you. We pray for those without power who will undertake to make their lives safe by damaging others, taking up violence, throwing stones, finding guns, using language of fear and hatred. We pray for those who work for reconciliation, for those at an international level who work to bring together communities that are long estranged, for those who as individuals will try to bring societies together by reaching out even at cost, even at the risk of danger. We pray for those within our own society who work for reconciliation. We give you thanks for those who are working to welcome refugees and who are doing the practical things of finding homes and working out how to use the, deal with the forums and sorting out the systems and helping people learn the language and making people feel at home. We pray for those who work for reconciliation within communities, for those who go into churches and companies and schools where there have been breakdowns, where there is tension and fear and mistrust, and who work to help people hear one another. We pray for those who work with families which have broken down, helping them to discover again what it is to care and to relate instead of to fear and withdraw. 
We pray for ourselves. We all live with the reality of broken relationships. We pray to you, give us the grace to find a way through. To forgive and to be forgiven. To dare to love and to dare to let ourselves be loved. So that we can begin to live the kingdom. And we pray for our congregation here and the other congregations that we represent that as your people, trusting that you love us, we will learn to love, to love one another and to be models of love and reconciliation. So that when people meet us, when people look at the church, when people hear stories about congregations, it's not a fear. And it's not of anger or of division, but of hope and possibility and forgiveness and reconciliation. For you have forgiven us and you do love us. Give to us, please, the confidence to trust that and to live it so that others too may become part of your life in the world and your coming kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.